Amen, my brothers and sisters. Are y'all doing all right this morning? You might be doing better than me. Man, I, I had a busy weekend. I, uh, I had the privilege of uh, officiating uh, Dennis and Kiana's wedding yesterday, which is really, really fun. Um, now, this particular wedding, I wasn't just the, um, the uh, officiant, I was also a groomsman. Yeah, so there you go. Um, and so that means that I had to actually partake in all the other stuff too, you know what I mean? So it wasn't like, yeah, just show up and, and you know, thee and thou and do the, the vows. It was like, you know, you're, I'm engaged, man, the whole weekend, you know what I mean? Uh, and then they wanted to get together like 10 in the morning for the two o'clock wedding. So we could hang out as the brothers, right? And take pictures and all that stuff. So, so I've had a, my man Robert was there, he's a groomsman. And by the way, Robert is moving to Houston. This is his last Sunday, by the way. So I guess I wasn't planning on necessarily doing it this way, Robert, but you will be missed, my brother. He's a good servant. And while I'm at it, do you notice what Robert is wearing right now? I might as well just get all this stuff out of the way, right? And help my man, Kirk Glazer. Robert is serving on the parking crew, right? And they need some, uh, they need some help, some additional help. And it just... There's no way with a group this size that we can't get a few dudes to help out. And I don't want to be chauvinistic. It's fine if ladies want to help too, amen? Ladies can help God probably do a better job of being orderly, honestly, than, than guys sometimes, right? Uh, but we need some help. Uh, Kirk, please uh, stand up, sir. This is Kirk Glazer. He oversees our parking and everything. So please see Kirk. Uh, he's, he's six foot six, so you can't miss the, the man. Uh, and please, please see him. We need, we need help. So did you sing that last song from your heart? That's a good song, man. That's just a good song. When you just think about what Jesus has done and, and you just, it just, your soul just wants to sing how great thou art. You know, I mean, ah, I love that song. And so this morning we're going to hopefully continue in that spirit. Amen. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, you are great. Your greatness we can't even really fathom. Father, I pray that this morning, this, this early morning service, our 9 a.m., Father, that we can engage, that our hearts can be open to what your Holy Spirit wants to say to each one of us. Father, I pray that we can not be on spiritual autopilot uh, or unspiritual autopilot, whatever might be true but that we can really engage our minds and love you with our minds and our heart and our strength, Father. Father, I pray that we understand how powerful it is to live with a deep understanding of your grace, your favor, your goodwill towards us, and the things that you do to protect us, to rescue us, and to give us the life that we can't carve out on our own. Father, we thank you how great you are that you, you give us this amazing grace that we get an opportunity to respond to and embrace. And Father, I pray that that never gets old in our hearts. And Father, I pray this morning that we can not fall for, I believe, a less than powerful gospel message and that we can really see 
that you are not just here to be our Savior, but we are to serve you as the Lord as well. And uh, that in itself is gracious as well. I pray that we can see that this morning, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So yes, we are continuing our Draw Near to God series of Embracing His Grace. And uh, I don't know if you've noticed this, but last Sunday there were more people at church. Brandon, did you notice that? You see that? You're a perceptive young man. Why is that? Because Easter was last Sunday, right? People find a way to get to church on Easter. But that next week, it seems that sometimes the attendance is a little down, right? And I think that feeds into what we're talking about today is that I think that we, and I think sometimes churches can actually put out a message that actually is not altogether totally helpful at times. And what I mean is this, we can focus on grace and how awesome it is, but sometimes we focus on maybe one aspect of what Jesus came to do. And it, let, me, let me give you some examples from God's word. These are great, I'm gonna read two scriptures, nothing wrong with them, most amazing scriptures. Many of you are familiar with them, but they never get old, right? How about the first one? If this thing will work, I don't know if it'll work, but it might not, but this works, bam. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That never gets old. What a great description of what Jesus has done for us. Utterly helpless. We had no power. We were powerless to change our spiritual state. And I don't know if you saw the news. I know you probably have. But isn't it another shooting, guys, at, the, at a synagogue in California? And did you hear the story? There's a woman there who was praying, and she stepped in front of a bullet that was towards the rabbi, and she lost her life. So when I, honestly, when I was reading this passage, I'm like, I mean, here's a person that kind of saved a guy's life, right? Somebody that she loved and appreciated. Um, you know, most people wouldn't be willing to do something like that, right? But here's the deal. Jesus, even though, even though we really couldn't do anything for God, so to speak, we were kind of spiritually dead, in fact, we were in, antagon we were in an antagonistic relationship with God. He still was willing, still, to send Jesus to pay the price that we couldn't pay. That'll never get old. That's, that's true and that's pure. Here's another scripture that I think we love and we like and we appreciate. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy, and we hated each other. But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done. Do you see the theme from the last passage, right? But because of his mercy. 
He washed away our sins. Isn't it beautiful when you see people get baptized? They come up, ah, cleansed. Giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. This is another passage that is so true and right and good and needs to be thought about, meditated upon, and make our hearts cry out how great thou art. That we have been freed from a life that we just were in sin and enslaved. But the kindness of God, the willingness of God, the generous nature of God, the favor of God, the goodwill of God, the grace of God, because of that, we can actually have confidence that we will have eternal life. And that's where we can get into trouble, quite honestly, is the only way many of us believe that what eternal life is. Some of us only believe eternal life means after we die, we live forever. And that's not really the only definition of eternal life in the Bible. Okay? I plan to help you out on that. (laughs) When you look up eternal life, when you understand in Scripture, it doesn't always just have, have to mean what happens after you die. What it really is trying to get at oftentimes is it is the life that really God has for you, the life of God, the life of the, of the age that God has ushered in. And so it's, it's actually for you now. It's a life that God wants you to live now. Why else would he save you, wash your sins away, give you his Holy Spirit just so you could just hang out and go, whew, well, I'm good. I'm good till I die. And that's how some people think. And this is where we get messed up. And sometimes churches and Christians are the ones that mess people up. All right? And here's what I mean is we can oftentimes say, look back 2,000 years ago to what happened at the cross. Jesus died. Amen. And we go, yes, amen. He died for our sins. Yes, he did. Amen. And he rose again. Yes, he did. Amen. And some Christian circles say, you know what you need to do? You need to believe that that happened. Do you believe in your heart that that happened? You go, yeah, I believe in my heart that that happened. Do you agree that that happened? Yes, I agree that that happened. Well, great, you're good. You're good. And so now you really, you're good for eternal life. So now your insurance policy for after you die is taken care of. And honestly, in some Christian circles, almost make it sound like really whatever happens between now and you die, it's not a really, a, doesn't matter because you agreed that something happened a couple thousand years ago. That is not the way we need to be thinking about the gospel at this church. That is not the gospel message. It's not about believing a bunch of facts about what happened a couple thousand years ago and then just resting on the fact that you believe it. And really, your lifestyle doesn't really matter anymore because I've believed the things I'm supposed to believe. That is not the true gospel message. And a couple years ago, I read this book, and uh, it's one of those books where it's like a, I mean, this is like a good old ribeye, you know, with a, I don't know, I like a Cabernet. Don't judge. (laughs) Don't judge. It's a, it's, it brings out the flavor, you know what I'm saying? 
But it, it, it's rich. And then you get a dessert and you might get you a cheesecake or something. You know what I mean? Just rich. But you got to really chew on it, right? And I read this book. I was like, man, there's a lot of good stuff in here, right? A lot of good stuff. And one of the things he says is he says, you know what? It's called, it's N.T. Wright, How God Became King. And he says, you know what? We've misread the whole gospel, all the gospels. We've misread them. Because we've been so eager, so, so eager to get to the part of the, of, the, of the Bible that talks about personal salvation that we've forgotten that the, the Gospels are written to teach us Jesus was enthroned as the king and we need to worship him as Lord. <laughs> That's the story of what the Gospels are trying to get at. But we're so eager, get to the part where Jesus saved me and I'm good, that we've totally missed the Lord part. We just love the personal Savior part. And I read that a few years ago, and I mean, I was like, wow, that's a strong statement. I don't know. I, 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 it's been in my crock pot of my mind, and I've just been sitting on it. You know, and amen, good, love you, Jesus, but I don't really know how to process it all, right? So then all of a sudden, I start reading this other book. And he says, the true climax of the gospel, Jesus' enthronement, has generally been de-emphasized or omitted from the gospel. What's he getting at? The Bible's really trying to teach us is that Jesus is king of all. He has been enthroned the king. He has wiped out all the other authorities and powers in this world, and now Jesus is the king, right? And that's part of the gospel message, right? And then he talks about the gospel is not so much a story focused on believing that Jesus died for my sins or trusting in Jesus' righteousness as it is a power-releasing story about Jesus, the one who is now ruling as the allegiance-demanding Lord of heaven and earth. The gospel centers on Jesus the King, but our message is focused on us and how he saved us from our sins. And that's the message that many people go out and just talk about. You can get your sins saved, forgiven. You can be right with God, da, da, da. but it's not about, you know, this, Jesus is the King. And so many, the, 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 if, you were to, if this was a movie, the scene of Jesus is like, of the gospel that we kind of paint a lot of times is like we're in a dark room, bound up, right? And the bad guys are coming in and they're going to do bad stuff to us, right? But all of a sudden, the commando forces come in, right? And Jesus busts open the door, right? And knocks everybody out and then grabs us and takes us out, puts us in the helicopter, and then we're back home again. Right? That's our kind of visual of of the gospel message. And it's not all wrong or bad, but oftentimes that's the only message that we really think about. And so in a sense, the message of the gospel becomes, well, what Jesus did for me. Instead of, no, we need to realize the gospel is about Jesus. (laughs) And him becoming king. And the reality is we need to give our allegiance to this king because that's really what he wants. Jesus didn't die just so you could agree with some facts about his life. He died so you can pledge allegiance to him. And live your life in gratitude for what he's done. And you are to tell other people a new king has been crowned. Not the king of your desires and not the king of this world, the adversary, the prince of this age. But Jesus is the king 
Jesus is the center of the gospel, not us. And so when we read Romans 1, think of it this way. Paul writes, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who gives allegiance to Jesus as the Christ. And I hope that that's the heart that we can have, to give that allegiance to Jesus, not just believe some facts that happened a couple thousand years ago. See, you know, the tomb is empty, so now what, right? That's the question on many of our hearts, right? The tomb is empty. Jesus rose from the dead. But look at the, look at, we had 1,800, 1,700 people at church last week, right? We're probably going to have not that many this week because I think so many people just believe, ah, show up at Easter, I'm good. I checked in, I'm good. That's not giving allegiance to the king. So what are we supposed to do? What, when, what happened in the Bible? After Jesus rose from the dead, what happened? What message were they talking about, right? And I think that's what we should look at, right? What was going on when Jesus rose from the dead? Okay, well, what then? Were they just going around telling people, hey, just trust, just believe, and you're fine? Was that the message? Was that what Jesus was getting across? So I think we should look at that, amen? In Acts chapter 1, we already know Luke wrote he wrote this. He wrote his own gospel. This is kind of Luke part two, as many of you know. And it talks about how, you know, and I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about what? Why would Jesus talk about the kingdom of God? Of all the topics, he's the king. He's been crowned the king. (laughs) He's trying to help them understand. You know all that stuff that happened? I know I gave a lot of sermons. I know I did a lot of stuff. I healed a lot of people. I gave a lot of messages. And quite honestly, guys, you didn't understand half the stuff I was telling you when I was telling it to you. And you kind of frustrated me, but I'm forgiving you. Amen. I love you. But so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to I'm come back from the dead. I'm really alive. I'm not a ghost. Okay. And here's the deal. I need to explain to you what this whole thing is meant. I want to talk to you about the rule of God. Okay. That's what the, his reign, his rule, I need to explain that to you and what role I play in that. Okay, I have been crowned king. I've proven it to you, not just by the miracles, not just by the teachings, but by me walking out of that grave. I'm enthroned the king. But what kind of king am I? You know what kind of king I am because you've seen me. You've touched me. You've been with me. You know who I am. I am no Pharaoh. I'm not trying to make people make more bricks with less straw. I'm not harsh. I told people, come to me if you're weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the type of king I am. I'm a king who's merciful and loving and gracious. That's the kind of king that I am. I'm a king who shows love to people even if they're my enemies. I will pray for them even as they slay me. That's the kind of king that I am. And that's the kind of kingdom that God has come to usher in. And he was trying to teach them those truths. This is not an arbitrary throwaway scripture. There were many topics that Jesus could have talked to them about, but he talked to them about 
the kingdom of God. And the apostles totally figured it out. They got it, right? So they were with Jesus. They kept, they kept asking him, which means Jesus probably tired of it. You know? So, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Because we know that Israel is God's chosen people. And surely he's going to make Israel awesome, right? Jesus, once again, so patient. The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they're not for you to know. But you will receive what? Power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You're going to receive power. Remember that quote. The gospel's not just about, I trust that Jesus did something. Or, I, yeah, I believe it happened. No, it's about a power-releasing truth, right? That's a power-unleashing reality, right? That's what, it, that's what he's saying. You need that. But he literally says, please don't do anything until the Spirit comes, right? Don't, please don't, don't even lift a finger to the Great Commission until... You get the Holy Spirit. Y'all going to bumble the whole thing up, okay? <laughs> right? Wait for the Spirit, right? What a powerful reality, though, is that the kingdom is the teaching that we hopefully will embrace. And that's the thing, is we need to realize that the fact that God has ushered in his kingdom through Jesus is an act of grace. Like, we can live in his kingdom and not have to settle for the kingdom of this world where people walk into places of worship and shoot people, quite honest. That's, that's, the, kingdom, that's the kingdom of this world. That's, the, that's what's going on. And so he said, you're going to testify about me. You're not just going to talk about doctrines. You're going to talk about who I am, what I've done, and how my reign is in effect for everyone. And so guess what? Guess what happened? That's what they did, Right? Don't you love that small font right there that you can see? That's awesome. Who did that? My administrative assistant needs to be fired immediately, right? Here. Oh, wait, that's me. I'm sorry. Okay. Peter's saying this. He said, you know, God raised Jesus from the dead, and we're witnesses of this. Now he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven. Do you, do you get the language? P Peter's getting it. <laughs> this, is, this is exalt. This is kingship type language right here. He's at God's right hand. Hello. Daniel 7. And the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us, just as you see and hear today. Is Peter a good disciple? He's doing pretty good. I think he was listening to Jesus. I think he encapsulated everything Jesus was trying to get at. He was taking notes when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God. He gets it. Jesus has been exalted. That's the message. The message is not just, hey, you're messed up. You really need to get your sins forgiven so you can be all right, so you can go to heaven when you die. That's not, it's, no, that's not where you start. You start with there's a new king. He's exalted. And the Holy Spirit is available. Verse 36, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified be both Lord and Messiah. Notice not Lord and Savior at this moment. 
right? Because again, I think that's the gospel. So popular. Yes, I accepted Je- I accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. How many times have I shared my faith with people and that's kind of at some point that's the phraseology. I accept well, I'm so glad you accepted Jesus. I'm sure he's so grateful for your acceptance. Do you know what I mean? Like how presumptuous that is. I've I've accepted Jesus as my oh wow. No, that's not the way it's supposed to go down. As my personal, again, focus on person on the person. Lord and Savior, okay? We love the Savior, but not the Lord. This, notice the, notice the message here. He's not talking about Savior right now. He's talking about the Lord, Kyrios, master of your life, master of the universe, ruler of all things, and Messiah. That means anointed one. Only priests are anointed, only kings. Jesus was both. Jesus is the king, Jesus is the priest, Jesus is the Lord. He's running things. He's exalted. He's at the right hand of God. That's the message. That's the message. That's where we need to start. We need to give Jesus rightful place instead of putting us in the, in the middle of all the whole story. Jesus is the middle of the story. He's the story. Peter's words pierced their hearts. I mean, they were like, man, what, what, what do we need to do? We missed this, right? Peter replied, each of you must repent, turn to God, be baptized. And as we know, 3,000 people were baptized on that day. So in closing, I want to give you a new visual. New visual, right? I think the new visual, not that the old one was wrong per se, but think of the new visual like this. It's not that you are bound up and the bad people were going to take you out and Jesus came in and right saved you. That's not all bad, but it, I don't think it gets at the core of it. And I think this next scripture kind of has a little bit of both, but it emphasizes things the way I like. I think we should think about today. Colossians 1. For he has rescued us from the dominion, kingship type language, right, of darkness. That's where we've been. And brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And what I like about this, it's almost like, think of it this way. It's like you're in a, you're in a, 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 a land. You're, you're, you're somewhere and you're just waiting because you know a battle's going on. And whoever wins the battle is going to take over where you are, right? But the battle, you can't see it going on, and so you're waiting for the news. Who's going to win the battle? Who's going to be over my life? Like, who am I going to have to, who am I going to, have to live under, right? And all of a sudden, you see a horse and a rider come in. They go, and they get off the horse. I've got good news. I've got good news. King Jesus has won. We can live in his kingdom. That's more, I think, what the gospel message is. It's not just about my personal Lord and Savior. It's about King Jesus has defeated all other foes. He is the exalted king. And now, now, guess what our, our rightful move is? Is to pledge allegiance to that king. That's what, pledge allegiance to that king. Be grateful for his graciousness. Wow, the other king was ruthless and cruel and harsh and forced you into labor. The other king wants to give you love and forgiveness, will tell you the truth about who you are and expects your allegiance, but he's a good king. And that's the message I hope we can embrace and not just settle for that half gospel that only focuses on, on us and what Jesus has done. So I have, my time is up, and we are going to say a prayer.
for the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for rescuing us from the dominion and the rule and reign of darkness. We are grateful that you were willing to send Jesus, your own son, to do battle against the spiritual forces of evil. And we are grateful that he was victorious and that we have the ability to live in his kingdom. Thank you, Father, for that amazing reality. And at this time, we proclaim that Jesus is your son and that he did die on that cross, but he rose again. And we take the bread that represents his body and we drink of this juice that represents his blood and we do it in gratitude and we do it in exaltation for what Jesus has done for us. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.